What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dad's Game Podcast. This is Joan here as always. And do check out my Twitch stream for more Legends of Runeterra related content. The growth of my Twitch channel has been astronomical. I've been growing at a rate in which I have not, I could not even foresee or even predict. And I'd like to thank everyone who has been a part of my streams for the past 3 or 4 weeks. You guys really got me going all the way from zero viewers, all the way to affiliate, and now I'm on my way to reaching my mid-year goal of 500 followers by June of 2021. Speaking of 2021, I hope all of you guys had an amazing time counting down to 2021 with your friends, your loved ones, or maybe you slept in, like me. I slept pretty early on New Year's Eve because I usually sleep around 9.30 in the, in, at night. What in the morning, man? Yeah, I usually sleep at night. I sleep really very early because it's a part of me already. Yeah, I usually sleep very early and I wake up very early as well, around 4.30 and all that. There's some changes that I've made to my lifestyle again because each time I go into a new year, I want to write down certain things I want to accomplish, be it for this podcast, be it for the game. You know, life is always changing. And so I've always kept the mental list but now I made it a habit to write things down in a notebook. Yeah, in fact, in 2021, I actually started writing things down in a diary. So that's one of the biggest changes that I've had this year so far. By the way, this year's have barely even started, but I just created a diary because, you know, it's good to write down my thoughts, write down what I did every day, write down what I've done in Legends of Runeterra, maybe in my own life as well, see the number of followers growing, see the number of unique listeners that my podcast has and so thank you all once again for joining me in this episode as we go into the new year and so today's episode is going to be a bit special we're going to be talking about a comprehensive list of balances and changes i like to see in the next patch notes we all know that the next patch notes is going to be about i foresee it's going to be about a month's time because it's the holiday season and not a lot of people are back in the office yeah so you can expect this Zoe, Leeson, and Grand Plaza fiasco to be carry on, carrying on for at least another month. A lot of people are actually complaining that Zoe is a little bit too strong together with Leeson, and Grand Plaza is a bit oppressive. Those are my own thoughts. I've been playing tons of Grand Plaza decks, be it Scouts, be it the Hackering Plaza, be it the Garen ASO version in which I played close 200 games on. I would say in terms of Grand Plaza, it is a very good card, but is it too strong? In my previous episode, I, in one of my previous episodes, sorry, I said that it was a little bit too strong. But after many, many testing, I can say that right now the meta boils down to two things. It's either you're running in elusive deck, i.e. playing Zoe, some form of spark, spark fly. In fact, there's a lot of Twisted Fate elusive decks running around. Or you're just playing Grand Plaza. And of course, the third outlier, which is something which includes Shadow Isles, such as Commander Ledger's Wing Condition, right? When it comes to that, the meta really, really uh, revolves around those three archetypes. Something that can use Ledger's to win the game. Something that revolves around Grand Plaza to stabilize the board and have good traits. And lastly, Elusives which is a mechanic, the strongest mechanic in the game, which heavily revolves around small minions to deal cheap damage over time to win the game. And so when you think about it, 
it sounds pretty good, right? Because there's so many varieties when it comes to those three decks. Like I mentioned the elusive one, there's, a, there's one that comes with the monastery or something like that. The one which allows you to bounce here, bounce there. To gain infinite value for your cheap creatures. Because most elusive and small minions come with the ability to attune and get special cards. And as for Grand Plaza, it is pretty linear. Which is a very the master kind of thing. It's what you see, it's what you get kind of place now. Come to scouts, you're gonna run Double Trouble, Island Navigator. Because Grand Plaza buffs everything. And then you can play Garen Aso for a pretty good time against most of the decks. And then there's of course the... Elu not elusive, the Hackerim version. Hackerim version is a very high roll kind of. It's the super high roll Grand Plaza deck. Because if you don't curve out well, it doesn't really work as well. Which is something I don't really like out of a Grand Plaza deck. Because you're already relying on opening Grand Plaza on turn 3, right? And if you don't draw it, you're probably gonna lose the game. And that's the big reason why you don't usually see me playing Hackerim a, a lot. And as for the last deck, which is the Ledros Wincon, the one deck which really benefits a lot from Ledros, or maybe don't even need Ledros at all, but it is essential for the deck to actually work or function properly. It is none other than Gohard decks. When you look at Gohard decks, the one thing that they really miss out is the closing out factor because no doubt pack your backs is incredibly powerful against the majority of the decks in the meta but there's one thing that you do have to take note of it is that fire damage is for one mana is incredibly powerful not only are you dealing to the whole board you're dealing to the nexus as well which means that highly likely when you cast pack your backs you're going to have such a tempo gain that your opponent can't come back and when you look at some decks their wing con usually has 5 mana or more. Meaning that if you play back or backs, your opponent can only minimally respond with one creature at a time. And that is something which Gohard really capitalizes on because they saw the board with small creatures and the game sort of snowballs from there because the early cheap damage and all that closes out the game. And now that I mentioned Ledros, right? When you put Ledros as the nail in the coffin because as turn 9 you play Ledros and most likely your opponent's life total is around 12 or 11 and then Ledros will just cut the Nexus in half, meaning that if your opponent were to be incredibly low-lifed going into turn 9, and they are very low-life as well, you cut it by half. One pack of bags is the way the game ends. In terms of everything, Gohard seems fine, but if you add in Ledros together, it just feels that if they won't do it early, they have a way of closing out in the late game. And when it comes to Gohard, it is a combo deck that is just too efficient. It beats out almost every deck in the meta, and there's absolutely no counterplay to it. I've had very frustrating games against Gohard many many times during the ladder this season, but it's something to be expected because Gohard is the easiest deck to play, and the one that usually has a very high win rate because of the way the deck functions. Doesn't It really doesn't reward you for mastering the deck, because Gohard is simple, you don't really need to master anything, because the tons of draws. There are many, many ways for you to draw the PYB or the Gohards that you need because of the Bilge Water cycle function. And so that's the big reason why today's episode is going to be a, a comprehensive list of what I want to see or what should be changed. Take it with a grain of salt. I'm not a perfect balancer, but I have a list of cards in which needs to be changed in the upcoming patch, be it patch 1... I think it's patch 1.17, right? 
Yes. And so, yes, if you notice this episode, we, I'll be changing my podcast format again from around 30 minutes all the way to around, no, actually I was doing 20 minutes, but I'm planning to change it back to once a week at around 45 minutes to an hour because this really gets me, this really enables me to explain my thoughts properly because the 20 minutes one feel a bit, feels a bit rushed. But you know what? Do expect more changes to the podcast in times to come because we're about to reach the one-year mark in June this year and do expect to see some guests come on. And so let's get on to the episode. Let's talk about a couple of balances and changes i like to see, right? And so the first card, this is no surprise, rather than Grand Plaza. When it comes to changing it, I don't think that it should be nerfed too heavily. The plus one, plus one and challenger is okay. Let me explain. Because when we look at most of the landmarks, they are not entirely useful. They are not that great. Maybe Scar Grounds is okay. Star Spring is not good, but it's only good in Soraka Tamkench due to how the way the deck functions. I believe when Riot released all these uh, landmarks, they were expecting it to make people deck, build decks that revolve around it. And so far, the only thing or the only landmark that enables the the player to build a deck around it is Grand Plaza because it is an actually good landmark. When you look at the rest of the landmarks, it is not good at all. And so instead of nerfing Grand Plaza, my take on this is instead of making Grand Plaza balanced, why not make other landmarks playable instead? So this is a very, okay, this is a very interesting point of view from me, right? Because if you were to nerf Grand Plaza, it would just make every landmark incredibly weak. And this is something you wouldn't want in the game, right? Because the whole point of Monuments of Power, the whole point of the Targon expansion, is to introduce landmarks to change the way the game is supposed to be played. The way I look at it now, all the landmarks are fine. There's no need to be nerfing anything, there's no need to be changing anything. But what I like to see is the improvement to the landmarks in the game. There are a couple of landmarks which are totally not playable at all. No doubt Scar Grounds is good, but in terms of practicality, it doesn't really change the bot state because you're not giving a challenger, but no doubt you're giving a buff. And in the nature of most decks that can run Scar Grounds, they don't really... They are very rigid. They have no way of manipulating the, manipulating the bot, such as Wheel of Ionia, Dual, Concerted Strike. That's the problem with Freylord, right? Because you're dropping big beefy minions and your opponent has to play around it. And so, apart from making landmarks better, there's actually one or two changes that I can I can suggest to Grand Plaza. Like no doubt, I get you guys, I get it why you guys don't like this card, because it is an infinite duel, Bannerman buff, and there's absolutely no counterplay because you need a stun or a silence to ensure that the challenger mechanic doesn't go through, right? There are some neat plays such as Solari Sunforger, such as those scouts being able to drop mini minions to trade properly into you. And then that sort of closes out the game from there. And that's the big reason why a lot of players really dislike Grand Plaza. But when you talk about Grand Plaza, that's the only bad thing about it, right? Without Grand Plaza, the Marseille will be unplayable this meta. That's one thing for sure. And Grand Plaza isn't even too strong or overpowered. Like I might have said it in the previous episode, but 
as I look at things now, it's not really that great because no doubt you get incredible amounts of opportunity to balance out the board. But there are so many matchups in which the deck is not good against, such as Gohart. Gohart is one example in which I don't believe that Grand Plaza has a good time against. And when you remove Gohart out of the picture, Grand Plaza seems to have a good time against every other deck, right? And so I would say that we are currently in a meta in which the decks or the decks in the current meta revolves around the same three principles Grand Plaza, Zoe, or you're playing something which has Ledros. If, if there really needs to be a change, the first change I can think of is splitting up the plus one plus one and the challenger. So when you drop a minion, you get the chance to either select a Bannerman buff, which is permanent, or you grant it challenger, which is permanent. This is the only way that I can think of making Grand Plaza more balanced because any other way of changing it will make it look incredibly weak and that's not what I want to see when it comes to landmarks because we're still very early in the game. It's barely a year. This game released back in March, April. If we keep nerfing cards, then what's the point of creating new ones, right? The meta will be stale. Things will just be the same for the forever and that's not something that you want to see, especially for a card game which is in its infancy. And the second card which I think should be balanced or changed, this is a card which has infuriated tons of players. It is not something which can be crafted or made. It is a card which is generated by Mountain Goat, Mentor of the Stones and whatnot. This card needs no introduction. It is none other than gems. So when we look at Lee Sin decks in general, be it Lee Sin Zoe, Lee Sin Zed, or we can just call it Lee Targon, because that's how the deck functions. It is the premier combo deck in the meta. It is a deck which has wrecked havoc all over the Legends of Terra ecosystem. Ever since Targon was released, Lee Sin actually went to new heights that he has never seen before. Even before Targon was released, Lee Sin was still powerful because you could pair it with Noxious, Horns of, the, Horns of the Dragons, the Overwhelm buff, and Lee Sin becomes near unstoppable because a lot of players are not open to the concept of Dragon's Rage plus Overwhelm OTK. But due to Targon being released comes with a very big support package in the form of Bastion, Pale Cascade, Guiding Touch, Mentor of the Stones, and of course, the one card which got buffed, but it looks like a very, very mistake, very big mistake, which is Bastion. And Lee Sin sort of became too strong because of all the support cards. Like, no doubt listening on its own is not that great. It's an okay card. But, listening is listening. There's no need to nerf it at all. And if I were to look at everything in perspective, there is one constant which has made listening so powerful. It is the persistent buff to gems. Because each time you play gems, listening gets an attack higher. And when listening gets an attack higher, it means that 
they'll be able to OTK you from one turn due to all the amount of gems that they buff their own creatures. And the thing about gems is that it is so easily generated by Mountain Goat, by Mentor of the Stones. And Mentor of the Stones is another card which is not overpowered, but sometimes you have to think about the gems that it generates from being destroyed because this thing can be buffed to 10 damage and above. And you can't counter burst spells, which is already an issue which I've addressed in previous episodes. And when you use gems to buff Lee Sin over and over again, there's no way you can interact with it because when you look at Lee Sin's ability, it is you gain Challenger from the first spell, right? And then you gain Divine Shield from the second spell. Most of the time, they'll be chaining 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 gems. Yeah, you get what I mean. And then Lee Sin gets a 10 attack, slap on a Zenith Blade because they probably cast it on the previous turn, and then they just challenge your creature and that's easily 20 damage right there. The only way in which you can stop that is by Frostbite, Hush, or simply removing Lee Sin from the board to enable Dragon's Rage to not activate. But because Lee Sin is an Ionia champion, it comes together with Deny and Nopify, meaning that removing it is not easy. And to slap on Bastion, to slap on Glow or the spell shield that Zoe can generate, there is absolutely no way that Lee Sin can be touched. Because Deny is 4 mana, Nopify is 2, Bastion is 4, and all those spell shields are very low cost. And so that's one thing that a lot of players are very infuriated and angry by. It is the ability of Lee Sin to just stick on the board and gems making it being able to OTK. And so, I'd like to see gems get hit because it is the one card that enables Lee Sin to be so powerful in this meta. Every other card in Lee Sin Targon is okay because they are mainly staples, right? Pearl Cascade, Guiding Touch, Harsh. These three cards are the essential Targon list. They are what people play Targon for. And so if I were to nerf the Lee Sin deck or to balance it again, it is to nerf the gems or to change it. Instead of being able to stack, my proposed change is to make it only able to be played once per turn and the buff can be kept to it for the rest of the game because that's how the gems really work, right? Because when you only enable one gem to be played per turn, it doesn't give the opponent to have the chance to steamroll you and they do actually have to think about casting the gems all the time because in the past you can just, or currently and currently, you can just stack the gems and you win the game but now they have to use gems, another burst spell to give it challenger and Divine Shield. That's something in which most players have to think around now. Like no doubt Lee Sin Targon requires some bit of skill to pilot properly. But now with this change that I introduced, it actually enables more plays for your opponent to react to. Because now they have to gems and then they press OK. Because they are not able to keep playing the same burst spells over again. And that's one thing that I can introduce. And another change in which a player recommended was to give it plus 0 plus 1 instead of buffing the attack, you give it health. When it comes to that, it really makes this scene more balanced as well because it, it, really, it removes the OTK potential, right? And that's something in which makes this scene more tolerable because currently it is just too powerful at its power levels so of making it able to close games that quickly. And the third card which comes to my mind that needs to be rebalanced is Gangplank. Because in the current state of Gangplank, it is near 
unplayable or it can be played but it is not on the totem pole or the priority of cards to be added into a gang into a bilge water deck because the current state of bilge water is no longer about plunder it is more a card draw because of go hard decks and the one way in which i like to see gangplank become introduced in the meta again is to enable it to spawn two kegs when you summon because that really fits into Gangplank's ability of... Okay, it really fits into Gangplank's League of Legends persona because you know you can summon two kegs and you chain it. It is a game-closing champion, but as of now, it doesn't feel like it because... When you compare it to the other champions in the pool, other 5 drops, Garen, when you compare it to Vi and all that, it doesn't scare your opponent when you drop it. Right, it doesn't really scare you when you see a gangplank unless you're playing aggro and you see a opponent drop gangplank and you sort of just you know you'll be afraid because of the overwhelming mechanic. But this proposed change of me dropping two kegs instead of one when you summon it. It is something which I've been thinking about for a while because gangplank needs to feel more menacing. And the direction of Bilge Water being a draw engine is not something which is supposed to be from the start. Bilge Water was always supposed to be seen as a pirate mechanic by stealing cards, but Plunder sort of didn't work already because it is just too strong. They had to nerf the nap mechanic multiple times. Before that, it was just stealing cards from your opponent. They can buff it, Arrowser, Hearthguard, Omenhawk, and your nap and all your stuff will be stealing cards from them and it feels kind of oppressive. And, build, and by the way, Gangplank is Bilgewater's strongest champion, if I'm not mistaken. And so the buff to enable you to spawn two kegs is something which I already have been thinking for a while. And I'll say it's needed to make Gangplank sort of more seen in the meta. Because, okay, the two kegs might seem a bit too strong. Why not have the limit of... Okay, let's say when you summon Gangplank and you already own a keg. You can only own two kegs at a time. That's the effect of the gangplank. So basically, when you summon gangplank, if you own one keg, you summon one more. If you have none, you summon two. Yeah. And that's one way in which gangplank can be buffed. And so, let's talk about the fourth card. This is something which really pisses me off for a very long time. Everyone knows that I have a terrible relationship with Swain Twister Fate and Azure Draven. This card really makes mid-range decks look like a clown fiesta. Makes Astrodrani looks bad. It makes most of the mid-range decks very weak. The entire nature of these Swain Twister Fate and Azure Driven decks, it is them trying to cycle cards and then drop Captain from to win the game. And they capitalize on the mistakes that you make because most of their removal are cheap. And they usually gain value from all that traits. And then Ezreal comes down and it's either Ezreal or Captain Farron closes out the game. Draven is the draw engine in the spinning axe with the chump warm using ramage and then you use some dredgers to draw cards. You sort of get why, why, how it works, right? And so the one card which actually I would like to see get hit is other than Ravenous Flop because it is just too efficient for one mana. You look at the number of times in which you have lost the game, it's always due to a Ravenous Flop because when you look at their deck, it's a bunch of cheap cards. Able to cycle good stats, 3 mana 4 3, 4 mana 4 3, 3 mana 3 3, and all that. And with Ravenous Flop, it really gives the. Is it the 
Yeah, the card that can stun. I forget what is it called. Arrow Knight is Sentry. Yeah, Arrow Knight Sentry make it look so powerful because it's a 3 mana plus 4. It is basically a cheap removal. And no doubt Revenant's Flock might seem okay. But 4 damage for 1 is a little bit too high. And it can be drawn by Zap Spray Fin. Revenant's Flock is always a good top deck because of the way the deck functions with Ramage, with some dredges, with your spell mana intact. And so the one way that I can make Revenant's Lock more, more a balance is to make it 2 mana deal 4, or just 1 mana deal 3. Right now, Swing Twister Fate is not in the state in which a lot of players want to play it because of the nature of the meta. But many many times I've said, Swing Twister Fate isn't that powerful, but it's due to cards like Revenant's Flock, Make It Rain in the past, that makes it so powerful. And so one way in which I suggested is those two ways to make Revenant's Lock more balanced. I know some players might disagree with me, disagree with me because Revenant's Lock is okay, but to me it is just too efficient for one mana. And that's why I believe that Revenant's Lock should be hit in the upcoming patch. And the next card, the fifth card, this is no surprise, it is Nopify. It needs to be changed to 3 mana, and I don't really need an explanation for that, right? Because Snopify for 2 mana is just so... Okay, it is not very strong. It is not super... Game-breaking. Because no doubt, it's a reactive card, right? But if you give it 2 mana ability to deal with 1 to 3 mana, why not just make it 3? Because it needs to be even out, right? And it consumes most of the spell mana that... Okay, so... The big thing about Snopify is that 2 mana is too cheap. And the only way to make it more playable or more able to play around is 3 mana because in those decks 1 mana really counts and when you cast 3 mana with Nopify it sort of gives you the ability to or gives the opponent or gives both sides the reassurance that you do not have another spell mana to make another play and that's the big reason why Nopify needs to be hit needs to be changed to 3 mana and the 6th card this is something which uh, also a bit subjective is Pure Cascade because when I mention the Targon package, it always comes down to a couple of cards. Guiding Touch, Harsh, and Pale Cascade. In my opinion, Pale Cascade doesn't need to be nerfed. It can stay the way it is because Pale Cascade enables so many decks to function well. It is the reason why a lot of decks which cannot be played can be played. Because the plus 2 plus 1 buff is actually okay, you know? And the draw 1 is the icing on the cake. If you want to talk about a balanced card or the balanced trio, it definitely has to be Pale Cascade. Guiding Touch, and definitely Sharp Side. These three cards are the trifecta of burst spells now. Those cards are fine because they don't necessarily win you the game on the spot, but they give you the ability to equalize the bot, make the make the game more balanced, more 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 make it more evened out. And that's a big reason why I don't want Pearl Cascade to be to get hit at all. It is perfectly fine the way it is. But if you really want to nerf it, it's the only the only change I can think of is plus one plus one. And then draw one. It has to have to draw one. If it doesn't have to draw one, there's no point of playing Pale Cascade anymore. And so that's my thing about Pale Cascade. I know Mock Y was saying that Pale Cascade needs to be nerfed, but as of right now I think Pale Cascade is good. Doesn't need to be nerfed. It's fine, guys, it's fine. And let's talk about the seven card. This is something which uh is something I've observed. It is a card in which it's only played in one deck, which is Asadroni. It's other than Trifarian Assessor. Currently, it is a 5 mana 4 3, draw 1. But the thing about Trifarian Assessor is that the moment it gets buffed by Omen Hawk, 
by Ambrose Hufgard. It becomes a one it becomes a card which replaces itself when you have no other five drops, right? Because it becomes a fire attack. And so when you drop a card like that, a five damage card withdraws one. When it comes to the mid-late game, especially in the late game, every card matters really at that point. Some decks don't even have card draw. They rely on uh, top decking to win the game, such as those mid-range tempo decks. And so, I will want to balance Triferian Assessor of changing it from a 4-3 to a 3-4. Reason being is that, I know there will come a time where Astro Drowning will reign supreme again. Because if anyone's going to re-default back to Grand Plaza and mid-range decks, Astro Drowning must come back. Because that's the way in which Astrodrani works. It is that it punishes all the combat phase decks such as the Masia and all that. And by preemptively changing it to a 3-4, it means that if it gets buffed by Omen Hawk or Everson Hufgard, it will not be able to replace itself because it becomes a 4-5 at best. And it still fits into the theme of it being dropped and you can draw cards for the top of your deck, right? To refill your hand, to overwhelm your opponent. And so that's the big reason why Trifarian Assassin needs to be changed, but not nerfed. This is a change, a rebalancing, to make it more fair to your opponent. And let's look at the 8 card. This card actually literally went very low on the radar. Nobody actually bothered about it too much. It's not a bright steel protector. It is the best defensive card. It is almost on the levels of the, what's it called, Avrosen Archer or the Frostville Archer, the 2 mana 3-1, the ability to freeze. Rise Steel Protector basically signifies the end of your opponent's turn 2, because you drop it and you just drop a barrier and there's nothing they can do about it. And so, the barrier is fine, right? Because it sort of a, it sort of stops your opponent from doing any kind of aggressive plays on that turn, because that turn 2 defensive turn on your turn 1 drop really makes your opponent not be able to trade properly. But the issue of Bright Protector isn't so much of the barrier in that. Like stopping anything on turn 2 is fine, but the stat line is pretty good, right? 2 mana, 3, 2. And so one way I think of rebalancing Bright Protector is to change it to a 2 mana, 2, 2 with, with the same effect of granting someone Divine Shield. It makes it more tolerable because 3 damage for a 2 drop can be a little bit too strong. Yes, so do let me know what you think about this Bright Protector change. It's been something which I've been looking at for a while. And making it to a 2 2 still makes it good. It doesn't, but the 3 damage is something which really makes me, you know, roll my eyes a bit because it trades very well into some 3, 4, and 5 drops on its own. And that's why changing it to a 2 2, no doubt, makes it still playable. Makes it still fine, but not so oppressive on its own. And the 9 card and the 10 card together, it is something which is released together in uh, Cosmic Creations. It is Riven and Victor. These two cards are kind of underwhelming because everybody wants to just play Zoe because of the way Zoe functions. Zoe is always, is always a generate one. And because it has elusive, right? And the cards it can generate are also pretty strong. Let's not talk about it when it's leveled up. You can behold the infinite and just get something which can totally change the game from there. And so when it comes to Riven... No doubt Riven is okay, it's quite strong, but it is not meta-viable, or it does not warrant the meta to revolve around it. Because when we look at the meta, it needs to be a mid-range one, and that's where Riven and Victor will shine. Riven 
is the sort of card in which does not change the game on its own. But if you want more adoption and more players trying to be creative and not get steamrolled by elusives, the way I can see Riven to be changed is to buff it a little bit, is to change it to a 4-4, and when it levels up, become a 5-5, and it comes with armor. Like, no doubt this change will make it become too strong, right? But let's be honest, no one's going to want to play Riven even after this buff, because first of all, it needs to generate the fragments to give it overwhelm, quick attack, and all that. Second of all, it doesn't have elusive, meaning that at most, this is a good blocker, it's a good badger bear champion. Yeah, and that's a big reason why Riven needs to be changed a little bit to make it more playable. And the next card is Victor. Everyone had high hopes for it, even myself. I thought that Victor would be the one that defines the meta. But now we look at it, it went from defining the first week to being not defined at all. Because Zoe Lee Sin sort of just arrived and everything just gets poofed. The big issue with the meta is that all the elusive cards really make it you're either playing elusives or you're playing something that's Grand Plaza. And Victor sort of just fell behind because Victor is a weaker version of Heimer, at best. It's an average card. It's not something that can change the game on its own. But I was thinking of buffing it by making it, when you summon it, you get a random keyword. And the rest of the effect is the same. Because what we want to do is to enable the champions to have an even foothold against the rest of it in the current meta. Here's a prediction that I have. It is that Riot might potentially introduce an overhaul of some champions which are not played because as of right now, if if the way things goes for the next year, it's just going to be an elusive meta all over again. And when it comes to elusives, if you're not playing elusive, it's either Grand Plaza or you're just playing another elusive or you're just playing Go Hard. And that's not the way in which a healthy meta is supposed to be. Because I remember about one month ago, that was the best meta. During the seasonal championships, there were, there were so many decks that could be played. That was actually the peak of Legends of Terra. And now that it's defaulted back to Zoe or not, it kind of feel kind of meh, right? They really overdid everything in which they strived so hard to be, which is a mid-range deck, mid-range meta, where most cards games should be to enable more interactions between both players. Because when you look at Elusive and Zoe as a whole, you're just using Zoe to attack. If opponent doesn't have sharp side duel or anything, yeah, you know what? The attack goes through, they generate free cards, and more elusives come down, Zoe levels up, everything gets elusive, and you win the game. And that's not something which will keep players around, right? As I lose look, let's look at the 11 card that needs to be changed or buffed or nerfed. It is Glimpse Beyond. When I look at the draw engine, when I look at the deck in Gohard, potentially in the future as well. There is one constant that has existed in almost every Shadow Owls deck. It is Glimpse Beyond. Most of the decks are okay, but when I'm telling you about a card that needs to be addressed, it's not other than Glimpse Beyond itself, because this card is the problem to almost every single Legends of Runeterra player. Pretty sure most of you guys have lost to a Glimpse Beyond top deck and all that. It's a response to so many plays that you can potentially do, you know, like, like you want to lifesteal the opponent cast Glimpse Beyond and all that because of the combat tricks they can do. And so Glimpse Beyond as a card is something which has been on my hit list for a very long time. But because of Gohard existing, the spotlight is now back on this card again. Like in, initially I was okay with it, but now due to the way the meta is, you know what, Glimpse Beyond, you need to be changed. 
So what I propose is to change it to 3 mana instead of sticking to the 2 mana. Because 2 mana still gives it the option of looking like a pot of greed. But now with 3 mana, it makes it more expensive to cost. Expensive to cast, sorry. And then your opponent really has to think about it. Then 1 mana change might totally change the entire dynamic, but it's still the same card. But it's more expensive. Because when I look at Gohan and all that, the only reason why Gohan is so good is because of Glimpse Beyond. Like, no doubt the other draws are okay. Pool Shark is not played unless Twister Fate is in. Twister Fate is barely playable unless you are playing something which you can cycle. Salvage is not that amazing because it's 4 mana. And so the only way that I can think of making Gohan decks sort of tolerable again, it is Glimpse Beyond. Like, no doubt Shadow Owls has a deck. It really benefits on Glimpse Beyond. But let's look at it as a whole in terms of the Shadow Owls package. In terms of why you run Shadow Owls. It's always because of Glimpse Beyond, right? Use the ability to block and then use Glimpse Beyond. The cast remains the same, except that it costs one more at 3. And this is something which I believe must happen. Because Glimpse Beyond in 2021 and beyond, right, will be the card that will define Legends of Runeterra for a long time. So it's better to change it now than to make players start to realize that, oh my gosh, it has always been about Glimpse Beyond. And so that's the big reason why I say Glimpse Beyond needs to get rebalanced. And the 12th card, this is something which I believe should happen is harsh. I'm just, just going to give you one line. Remove this card from the game. That's all I have to say. And the 13th card, Atrocity. Okay, so when it comes to Atrocity, right? I've mentioned so many times that it should be like a Rick of Destruction instead of it dealing one to one player. Because when it comes to Atrocity, it really enforces the kind of play which revolves around Ledros. You sort of do nothing in the entire game, drop Ledros, and then you stack together with Atrocity and you win the game. I know that there's a sound strategy, it sounds good, fine and dandy. But, you know what? If I were to look at Legends of Terra in a few years' time, if the meta's just going to revolve around Atrocity just like that, it's not fun to play. And it really limits the deck design. Because no matter how fine and dandy you want to do, FTR is... FTR, right? But FTR with Atrocity makes FTR menacing. Because apart from the combat phase, which can be controlled because you can hush wins, flash freeze, hush and all that, it's fine, right? It's okay, it's okay. But we add another layer in Atrocity in all these late game decks. It feels very one-dimensional, meaning that if you don't win the combat phase, you just Atrocity and win, right? Yeah. And so, I would say that for the longest time, I always said, make Atrocity deal the damage to both players and force a draw. Because and the current way Atrocity is, right, it enforces the kind of play where you just wait to the late game, you just block here, block there, and then when it comes to reach the late game, you drop your finishing cards and Atrocity comes down and you win the game, right? And so that's the big reason why I say Atrocity needs to get hit or needs to be rebalanced. One way of it is to deal damage to both players to force a draw, or you only deal half the damage Basically, atrocity, you deal to your opponent's nexus, but it's half. So your 10 damage becomes 5, your 12 damage becomes 6, and your 9 divided by 2, you round up, is 5. And so that's one way I can think of nerfing the atrocity. Because the current way is, is not good. I know a lot of players like to play atrocity decks, but atrocity needs to go. It needs to get rebalanced. Because I, I for one like atrocity, but at the current way the game is supposed to progress, it, it shouldn't be dealing the full damage. It's either to both players to force a draw or half of the damage from the, 
from the health. And let's, let's, let's look at the 14 card. This is, looks like a Hail Mary kind of suggestion. It is harrowing. And I suggest to change harrowing to 12 mana. Cause the current way 9 mana, right? It's okay. Like, no one plays harrowing at all. But can you imagine a meta where you was around harrowing? It looks very... Okay, so mid-range deck shouldn't have access to harrowing. It should be exclusively seen as a game closer. And the only way a game closing card can be is by making it 12 mana. Mix it on the levels of War Mother's Call, mix it on the level of Feel the Rush, mix it on the level of Yeah, you get it, you get what I mean. Harrowing 12 mana. Because at the current way it is, it can be abused by mid-range decks, which is not something you want to see. Harrowing should be exclusively a game closing card. The 12 mana, make, make it like Feel the Rush. Make it exclusive to ram decks and you're good to go. Because at the current way at 9 mana, no doubt it's okay because nobody plays it at all. But in the meta where everything revolves around harrowing 9 mana, it's just too strong because it can be cast as early as turn 6, right? Because for some mid-range decks, like Darrowing, like Darrowing is fine. But I can imagine a meta where everything gets nerfed and Darrowing becomes tier 1 again. And harrowing is obviously the card which is causing the most problem. And so this is a preemptive nerf. Harrowing back to 12 mana. 10 mana is okay, but maybe 10 or 11, 12 around there. It cannot be cast on turn 6 because that is just too mind-boggling really. And the final card, Gohard. Let me just tell you, this card is okay, but Pack of Bags is not. No doubt there's only two decks which can run Gohard properly, which is the Foundry deck and the normal Gohard TFGP or all that. Yeah, you basically get it. Twister Fate version. And so one way in which I can say is that to make it balance, all in all, is to ensure that you cannot shuffle extra copies and pack your bags is back at 5 mana. I'll go very in detail in the next episode where I address Zoe and all that, the current meta state. As of right now, do let me know what you think about the Gohard changes. I think the shuffling extra copies really makes the deck a bit too powerful because the top deck potential is very high due to the Bridgewater engine. And pack your bags is 1 mana is a bit crazy. And so I changed it to 5 mana, it's because 5-5-5, five, 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 right? You can keep it the same effect, but at 5 mana, it deals Nexus damage and it deals board damage, which, which is fine to me, right? Because if you make it 1 mana, 5-5-5, five, 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 it's a bit too powerful. It really makes a lot of players just want to stop playing the game at all. And that's the reason why I say 5 mana, deal 5 your Nexus to the entire board, is okay on its own. And that's all I have for today's episode. It's a comprehensive list of changes I'd like to see in the upcoming patch. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And I'll see you guys on the next episode, next Sunday, same time, same place. And that's game.